So that's Psalm 42. Hear the word of the Lord. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, Good evening, church. Uh, Very quickly before I start the sermon, I hope I didn't come on too strong about MTS being a negative experience. It's a really beautiful experience, and you should all do it. Um, It's much encouragement and growth to be had. So if you're thinking about doing it, go do it. Uh, there's a couple of other little things I would want to address before we begin, uh, just so they don't distract you or me. Uh, now, firstly, I want to apologise to the Vic Parkians in here. I notice there's a few of you. Uh, you're getting a second serving tonight, but that's okay because you probably weren't listening the first time. So here's your chance. Uh, and secondly, I only just remembered about 30 minutes ago that we use NIV at Vic Park. We use ESV here. So I've tried my best to uh, edit it, but I might have missed some. So my bad. Apologies for that. Uh, and thirdly, and this is the most important because this is actually going to kick us off here, uh, if you have the text in front of you, you may notice the little subheading uh, from the, for the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah. Uh, I just want to say the sons of Korah, they were a group of priests uh, who were charged with the ministry of singing. They had very loud voices. So this kind of implies that this song was purposed for public singing and worship because that's what the Psalms are. They're songs or poems. Uh, and the word you could also be wondering about is the word maskil. Now, I googled this, and it seems like it could come from a Hebrew verb that means to instruct or to make wise. Now, whether that's right or wrong, uh, we're going to go with that tonight. Now, uh, this psalm, uh, it's a song that has instruction in it, and its purpose is to give us wisdom. But it is also a song, so there's a level of emotion involved. Now, that's why poems and singing are a thing, because God made us with emotions. And believe me, we all have emotions. 
And if you don't feel that way, you've probably just become real good at hiding yours, which is something we tend to do. But these Psalms, uh, and this one especially tonight, they intend to shape what the mind thinks and shape what the heart feels so that we can think and feel in a way that connects us with our God. So we're going to try and interact with some of these things, uh, the instruction and wisdom side of things, but also the emotion of the psalm. Now, I'll be up front, there will be some oversharing this evening, uh, and I'm going to kick it off by mentioning that when I first preached this at Vic Park a month ago, just a few days prior to its delivery, I had a nice 4,000-word sermon ready to go uh, that broke down this psalm line by line. But have you ever watched a movie with someone and the whole time this person is sitting there explaining to you the things that are happening in the movie and they're overanalyzing everything? Now, even though I'm guilty of this, when I'm in that situation, all I want to do is say, hey, buddy, less talky-talky, more watchy-watchy. Or when a hypothetical person, not me, is trying to listen to the new Taylor Swift album, They don't want to hear from anyone about why this lyric is a reference to this heartbreak or this lyric is code for a secret love affair or whatever. I just want to listen to the music, please. Again, that's not me. That's a hypothetical person. But point being, this was the vibe of the sermon I'd written. So that one, I'm sad to say, went in the bin. Uh, Another reason that one went in the bin is because in writing that sermon, I'd been ignoring the way that God has been preparing my heart for the last few months. I'd written a safe sermon where there's no chance of me crying, whereas now I can't make any promises. Now, one of the most nerve-wracking things as an MTS apprentice, uh, at least for me, uh, it is preaching. There's a whole bunch of reasons why. Uh, Partly because it's public speaking, which I hate. Uh, Partly because you're doing a thing that you've seen for so many years but don't actually know quite how to replicate. Uh, Partly due to the different expectations of people and the feedback you get afterwards. Uh, but a big part of it is, obviously, I just don't have that much experience. Uh, and speaking of experience, or lack thereof, I've only been around for 26-ish years. Uh, I'm not married, I don't have kids. I've only had a handful of jobs, and none of them have been more uh, than a year or two. And money, can someone please just tell me what to invest in? Now, I can only speculate when people ask me for direction in these things, uh, as I don't actually have that much experience. However... If there's one area of life which I do have some experience in, and even that I say tentatively, it is suffering. Now, I don't want to tell a sob story tonight. I don't want people coming up to me afterwards saying, Mitch, I feel so sorry for you. Uh, That's not what I'm trying to achieve here. I'm still seeking to point you to Jesus. And if that's uh, not what happens here this evening, then I have failed you. But I do think it's worth uh, mentioning what it is that makes me feel like I have some level of experience here, uh, no matter how small, uh, to speak on suffering. Now, there's a verse here that speaks to me. Verse 10. uh, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Now, the NIV, which is what we use at Vic Park, that says, my bones suffer mortal agony. Now, I'm well aware that this is probably metaphorical, and the emphasis here is more so on the taunt. Uh, But this is a song, and lyrics speak to you how they speak to you. So we're going to go with that. And verse 10 is the verse that resonates with me. Now, it sticks with me because, as a few of you may know, but a lot of you probably won't, uh, I have this autoimmune inflammatory health condition uh, that does involve, if not all the time, chronic crippling pain 
where most of the time there's very little I can do other than just roll around in bed to no comfort of mine, wishing I wasn't alive anymore. Uh, I cannot be in the same position for longer than maybe 30 seconds to a minute without some kind of pain. Uh, Sitting, standing, lying down, whatever it is, great discomfort is with me. Now, this obviously makes a lot of things tricky, uh, sleep being the worst. Every night is tossing and turning, my mind and body desperate for sleep, but restless due to the pain. I had my youth stripped away from me. Every morning since I was 18, I wake with a body of cement stiffness. Uh, Now, when other people are resting, uh, I am not. Uh, Rest is something I've searched for for a very long time. Uh, I've actually forgotten what it's like, the concept of rest. Uh, Now, my brain is mush most of the time because of this, and I've been sick seven times this year. I feel like a walking skeleton a lot of the time. Uh, The constant pain giving me tunnel vision, creating anxiety in me when I'm around people. It's difficult to love people when I'm so distracted by pain. It's also hard to be loved. Now, typing, texting, I can't do any of that for more than 30 seconds without my hands fatiguing and pain shooting down my arms. Uh, I'll never be able to work a full-time job because of chronic fatigue. Everything I enjoyed when I was younger, every hobby I've ever had, uh, I now cannot do without this pain. My eyes feel like they're on fire all the time. My internal organs, they just hurt. My muscles and insertion points, they hurt, they burn, they ache, they seize. I have nerve pain all the time. Uh, There are numerous things that I can now no longer eat, which is as annoying for others as it is for me. And this condition is considered an invisible illness, uh, where to the untrained eye, the symptoms are not physically obvious. So I can't even get sympathy points. And of course, when I try to explain to someone a symptom of mine, they plug it into Google and suddenly become a clinical physician, which, while I'm sure is done out of love, uh, it is a tad frustrating because I, too, know how to Google. Now, this condition is isolating, and the last few months in God preparing my heart, uh, my soul has also been downcast. I go to bed thinking, God, I'm not necessarily sad or mad, but what is the actual point in being alive? I can't actually do anything. Even serving you, I'd love to do that more, but you've made me physically unable. I'm kind of just wasting space at the moment. And then, when it's time to rise again in the morning, similar thoughts. Really, God? You want me to go again? Why? So with no avenues to go down, what am I to do? Well, we enter this psalm, a deep dive into the world of the sufferer. Uh, We're going to look at suffering and some of its hideous glory, the complex, messy nature of suffering. Uh, But I feel like this one is from the heart, because this is something I have had to contend with for the last eight to ten years. Uh, And I want you to know there's no neat answers here. Uh, There will be some answers, yes, and there will be Jesus at the end, as I hope you've come to expect. And I think even just the structure of this psalm uh, gives us insight into how messy suffering can be. Because while some people could come up with a structure for this psalm, trying to keep up with the suffering in it, it, it is quite messy. There seems to be suffering and then an answer and then more suffering and then talking to yourself but not really listening to yourself and the whole thing, it's just messy in the text. And because of that, this is how we're going to structure uh, the sermon this evening. We aren't going to go verse by verse, sadly, because as I said, I tried that for a couple of weeks and the sermon ended up being way messier than the psalm and I got lost and the people that read it got lost. Uh, And I just think, given my lack of theological knowledge and training, it's going to be way easier and clearer uh, if I just use what I know uh, and have learnt about God and what God has revealed about himself to me. 
So big picture, this is a song of suffering and we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the depth of suffering, the sources of suffering and the answers to suffering. But I say answers tentatively. So let's talk about the depth of suffering. Now, I think there's great irony in this psalm uh, because it, it starts with, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Which is this lovely quaint picture of a deer strolling to the water. Nice little bubbling book, uh, brook, crystal stream running there, some lovely green grass. Uh, this could be something you put on a motivational poster uh, or something you're looking up at at the dentist while having a tooth removed. But it's interesting because when the psalmist meets God's water, It's not a calm stream to be sipped on. It's a literal waterfall on his head. Verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. So this man who is longing for relief and delight in the waters that God will bring, he actually has his back broken by a literal waterfall falling on his head. And I feel like the irony there is actually right, that our suffering... It brings us closer to God, but the reality is also that the suffering seems so immense at times, too overwhelming. Now, if we look at verse 3, uh, speaking of water, it says, My tears have been my food day and night. Uh, he's longing for God's quiet waters, but instead he gets a waterfall dumped on him and he gets tears as a three-course meal. Not the water he was panting for at all. Now, there is no hiding the fact that this man is suffering with very little answers as he suffers. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? My soul is downcast within me. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? This man is feeling an immense weight of suffering as he contends with what it means to be human in a broken and fallen world. Now, let's look at some things uh, that are contributing to this immense weight of suffering. The sources of this man's suffering. Now, we have distance from home and the house of God. We see that in verse 2. He is wondering, when can I go and meet with God? And in verse 6, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the height of Hermon from Mount Bazaar. So he's far from home. He's homesick. But not only that, he's far from the temple, which is where the concentrated presence of God resides. He knows God is with him, but he misses seeing and feeling his presence. Now, we get more of a sense of this uh, from verse 4. As the psalmist remembers how he used to go to the temple, the house of God, he felt protected there, uh, not just because he was close to God, but because there would be lots of other people around him also worshipping God, which must have been contagious. It must have been a lively, joyous scene. It would have been hard not to share these feelings with everyone shouting praises, uh, worshipping the one true living God. It would have been electrifying and thrilling. And better yet, there would be no one amongst this festive throng that would be questioning the existence of God. There would be no taunting unbelievers here. Now, much like here at church, uh, we don't have Mark or Craig or Josh come up the front and then point at you, the congregation, saying, where is your God? I don't see him. No, we, we come to church Because we get the opposite of that. We get encouragement and we get pointed to our Lord. But when we do leave church, just as the psalmist has left the temple, we can come into contact with people who don't believe, people who doubt, uh, people who see that maybe our lives aren't going so well, and they say, isn't your so-called God looking after you? Where is he? And that is what is happening to the psalmist. 
Now, people don't ask this question to someone who, for them, everything is going great. They ask it of those that appear to have been abandoned. Now, verse 3 and verse 10 says, Where is your God? Implying that it seems as though the psalmist, uh, he's been abandoned. Now, on top of this knife twist in the man's side, he feels as though he's being tossed around by the waves and trials of life in verse 7. And in all of this, his cries seem to echo back at him. Verse 9, why have you forgotten me? God seemingly not responding. Now, so far we've acknowledged several sources of suffering. We've got taunting unbelievers, memories of better days, the present absence of past spiritual thrills, overwhelming trials of life, God's seemingly slow response. I might have missed some there. But if this was a longer song, there could be a whole bunch of other things included. And while we, while we could keep these things listed today, and we will, we could also add bills, disobedient kids, family dysfunction, marriage breakdown, broken relationships, abandoned friendships, failing exams, loneliness, depression, the seemingly lack of justice in the world, missing out on opportunities, car breaking down, chronic pain, illness, fatigue, injuries, losing possessions, losing people, stress, pressure, deadlines... Insert your own suffering here. I'm sure you can find something if you look hard enough. Now, this psalmist, uh, he doesn't have the monopoly on suffering, and I don't have the monopoly on suffering. We all have something and will bring something to church tonight. Different types and degrees of suffering. And I want us to hear that the Bible, it actually does get that. The Bible understands suffering. Now, there's a way of thinking of and looking at Christianity uh, where it's just far too optimistic. It's for nice people who have it all together. But the reality is, is that everyone has something or will have something. No one really has it together. It just depends on how well you hide it or how well you ignore it. Uh, but the Bible actually doesn't do either of these things. In fact... You could argue that the Bible itself is the story of God dealing with suffering. But how are we to deal with it? Well, let's look at some answers to suffering uh, that we can extract from this psalm. And I'll start by saying, again, there are no clear answers. This is a messy psalm. Um, It actually ends with the psalmist saying, For I will yet praise him. Or as the ESV says, For I shall again praise him. Which means he's not currently praising him at the end of the psalm. But he seems to hope that he will again at some point. So take comfort if you walk away uh, tonight thinking, I still don't quite know what to do with my suffering uh, and the goodness of God. Uh, I think take comfort because you're right there with the psalmist. But having said that, uh, let me give you some insight to what the psalm does offer us. Now, first off, uh, I think it's interesting that the psalmist in verse 1 and verses 2, the suffering drives him to God. He actually does recognize that the solution to his life's mess and problems, it actually is to be with God again. That is the solution he recognizes. Now, when he refers to his own thirst, he uses the image of a deer panting for water. But he hasn't actually acknowledged his greatest need as water itself to quench his thirst. No, he compares his need to that of a deer panting for water, but he himself has said that his greatest need is his God. Now, end of verse 1, it says, My soul pants for you, my God. And the start of verse 2, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. God is his water. God is the outcome of his life, or it's what the outcome of his life depends on. 
The psalmist hasn't sought ease of burdens, but to commune with God. The one true living God was the most desperate and urgent need of his soul. Uh, just like water to the deer. Now, his response to this uh, difficult situation is to thirst for God. Uh, now, quick animal facts of the day. Did you know that the gazelle, so not the deer, the gazelle, when water is scarce and the environment is dry, the gazelle will actually shrink its heart uh, so that it needs less water and less oxygen to survive. It shrinks its heart, making the search for water less urgent. Now, perhaps at times, maybe we can respond the same way. In times of stress and hardship, instead of panting for God like the deer by the stream, we just shrink our hearts so that we can get by without that. That brings us life. And that can be the danger in our suffering, uh, is that we forget what God has already done for us. Uh, so instead of going to him for life, we go to things that have given us short-term relief. Now, it could be things like drugs or alcohol. Uh, it could be things like Netflix or a shopping spree. Whatever it is, our reflex is far too infrequently to go to God. He's usually left as a last resort. Now, C.S. Lewis says in his book, uh, The Problem of Pain, says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscious, conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now you see, without that thirst, we don't realize that we need water. Without suffering, we don't actually realize that we need God. Now one consistent thing with people that maintain their faith throughout the years of their life is that they use suffering to draw closer to God, draw towards God instead of being driven away from him. Now how is this done? Well, what makes the difference between driven, being driven to God or being driven away from God? Now, I'm going to offer two things. Uh, the first is actually quite practical and it comes straight from the psalm. The second thing I'll offer is a Jesus thing. But listen to both because the Jesus thing actually gives the practical thing some ammo. Now, the first thing, the practical thing from the psalm, verses 5 and 11. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Verses 5 and 11, he says the exact same thing. Now, what is he doing here? Well, so far, he's addressed his need, which is God. He's expressed his sorrow. Uh, he's then reminisced about better days, uh, and he's remembered God. Now, in verse 5, after pouring out his soul, he questions it. He questions his soul. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you like this? You know the Lord's truths. Why then are you downcast? He's actually preaching to himself here. Listen here, self. Listen here, heart. This is what I know about my God. He is good. He is worth putting my hope in. As my saviour, he saves me. He is my God. And even though I'm struggling right now, both in my life and my ability to praise him, I will still put my hope in him, and I know I will yet again praise him, because he is my God, my saviour, and he is in control. I'd say preach these things to yourself. And you can see in verses 7 to 8, that after preaching to himself, after telling himself to put his hope in God, there actually is a shift in the text here. He begins to note God's sovereignty. It becomes, 
your waves, your breakers. The psalmist isn't playing the blame game here. He's just acknowledging that God is in control. God knows what is happening. He is with the psalmist, even though it feels like he's not. Uh, In verse 8, he says, the Lord directs his love. God is still a loving God. He is using this suffering. But for the psalmist, there's no change right away. The psalmist has to keep preaching to himself, and he keeps questioning, but he knows that God is his only hope. And therefore, he knows that it will just be a matter of time before he is praising him again. Now, one of my favorite Bible verses, and I understand you guys have been going through Romans. Uh, one of my favorite Bible verses is Romans 5, verses 3 to 4. I used it on the day I got uh, baptized. It's one that has always gripped me, uh, mainly because it talks about suffering. Uh, but I realized uh, the night before I preached at Vic Park that I can use it in this sermon, and I just couldn't resist. Uh, so actually exploring uh, Psalm 42 has actually helped me understand Romans 5 even more as we kind of see it in action here. Uh, you might think this is a bit of a stretch, but stay with me. Uh, Romans 5, 3 to 4. Not only so, and sorry, this is NIV, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Suffering, perseverance, character, and hope. Psalm 42. Uh, there is suffering. There's no doubt about that. This produces perseverance. We see the psalmist be persistent still in thirsting for God in his faith. He preaches to himself in perseverance. He persists when those people taunt him and when his faith is tested. He persists, he has perseverance, and this produces character. He begins to acknowledge God's sovereignty, his hand in it, not blaming God, but knowing that God is with him because God is in control. And actually acknowledging God's hand in things, it distinguishes his character from that of the non-believers, the taunters. And finally, from character is produced hope. Now, the last verse of Psalm 42, verse 11, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, not only is there hope to praise him again, but there is hope in God, his Savior. See, These verses from Romans, whilst not entirely in its context, they do give us a helpful framework to think about suffering. Because even though it starts with suffering, it ultimately does end in hope, which is the same as the psalm, which is the same as the Christian life. God uses suffering to ultimately lead us to hope. Hope in a saviour. Now, this leads us to our final answer to suffering, which is Jesus. Now, there's a quote from a man uh, named John Stott, and it goes like this. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one that has been ridiculed as God on the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha. His legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, I have had to turn away, and in imagination I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, 
back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in the light of his. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross that symbolizes divine suffering. The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in such a world as ours. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Uh, Suffering is actually a window into what God endured for us. His enemies taunting him, the agony on the cross, the distance from his father, the cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We actually worship a God who has suffered most deeply, And Jesus' divine, unique feature among all gods, other than the fact that he saves us and we do not ourselves save ourselves, the divine, unique feature is that he is the only one that has suffered. And what's more, he suffered for us. Hebrews 2 verse 10 says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Now, I think it's worth saying that I have found all of this to be true. I'm not sure if you got any neat answers tonight, and believe me, I've spent the time searching myself. Uh, I have spent many nights with a dark and downcast soul questioning God, why am I like this? Why must I have this pain? But whether I like it or not, and I do like it, it has driven me to God. I think if you rewind the clock like 10 years ago and give Mitchell Royce a perfectly healthy body and no debilitating condition, my guess is that, although I'd hope this wouldn't be the case, but given a man's pride, it is safer to bet against himself in these situations, my guess would be I wouldn't be doing MTS at Vic Park Church. Uh, Maybe I wouldn't even be at church. Maybe uh, I would not be a believer. I can't say. Now, forgive me if this ends uh, somewhat testimonial. I do hope that you can be encouraged in sharing these things with me, and I pray that all of what you have heard uh, rings true for you and fills you with hope. But I'll finish by saying that I guess the thing that keeps drawing me back to Jesus is knowing that when I have nothing else, I have Jesus. And that is all any of us can truly ever have. He is the only thing that can satisfy. I also know that I'm not alone when I suffer because... Uh, The one that I worship has endured far, far worse than I ever have uh, and ever will. And he did it to save me. But not just me. He does this for all those that put their trust in him. He has done so to bring me and all those that believe in him into glory with him. And that, uh, of all the wonderful qualities of Jesus, that is a precious one for the sufferer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we live in a broken world full of disappointment and pain. It is not how you designed it, for we have rebelled against you and done this to ourselves. 
we thank you that you love us more than we can imagine. Uh, you love us so much that even though you are the one true living God, you humbled yourself, something we could never do. And you suffered with us, your fallen creation. Uh, not only that, you suffered more, you suffered worse than anyone ever could. And you did it to save us, though we are not worthy. You are a good, good God. You are our only hope. Please keep directing us. Please keep loving us despite our doubts. Thank you for sending us a saviour. In our suffering, I pray that you make us more like your son, who you sent for us and who brings us to glory with him. Thank you that you are in control, Lord. Thank you for your great mercy and your grace. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.